And I was listening to the radio today, as I do on a Sunday morning, and you've heard of the touch of the sepulchre, haven't you, in Jerusalem? There's a debate as to where Jesus actually died and rose from the dead. And over the years, people have been wondering, where did Jesus die? Where did he rise from the dead? And there's this church that stands, it's called the Church of the Sepulchre. And when you go in there, there is this, um, well, it's like a tunnel, really. You go through this and people kiss the stone. And they reckon, some people reckon that's where Jesus uh, was, rose from the dead, was buried there. I don't like it at all. And you come out the other end of this, and there's these uh, priests or monks, or what you call them, the, the hands out for the money. Just don't like that at all. But there was a man called General Gordon, and he believed that Jesus rose from the dead somewhere else. Not far away from where that was. And it's called Gordon's Calvary. And you can see the hill, and it's the hill like a skull. I thought to myself, that's where Jesus died. I believe that. And the Bible says that beside that area where he actually was buried, there was a garden. And there's an area in Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb. They found a garden by excavation. Found a garden there. And there's this cave. And there's a place with only two left in Jerusalem that had a stone over them. And this is one of them. And I believe that was where, possibly that was where Jesus rose from the dead. And on the door it says, he's not here, he's risen. And when we went there, um, back in 1990, we had this communion service at the garden tomb. It's hard to explain what that felt like. To be there in the garden to remember Jesus and to see Calvary, Calvary's hill there, the hill of the skull, and to see this garden. And the only reason I mention that is because on the radio this morning, you know what it said? That this church of the sepulchre, the Christians fight over it. Can you imagine that? That on the resurrection Sunday there are four groups of Christians and they're all fighting with each other. About who does what in that church. You know who's got the key of the church? A Muslim. Because the Christians cannot agree among themselves. Perhaps it's Christian in name only. Christian Orthodox and all different kind of Christian groups. And, and they fight over different bits of the church. And I thought this morning, that's so sad. That four groups of Christians are fighting over this church of the sepulchre. And it could be that Jesus never even rose from there. It could have been General Gordon's Calvary and quite close to where it is. Never mind. I just thought you'd like to know that. Maybe you don't like to know that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, let's come to God's word. To 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not going to preach on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But you know, it's the finest exposition of the resurrection the resurrection ought to mean to us but if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 let me just skip the first couple of verses if I may and begin at verse 3 alright 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 for I received says Paul for what I received 
I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Can we jump to verse 12? But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been, or not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, there then when he comes, those who belong to him. That's a wonderful exposition of what the resurrection ought to mean and the importance of it. But the verse that I want to use as a text today is found in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. Revelation 19 and verse 16 where we find this verse. That on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. He has this name written on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's have a prayer. We want to thank you, loving God, that you brought us together to hear something of your word on this Resurrection Sunday. And we give you thank you, Lord, for the names of Jesus that we find in the Bible. But we cherish this name, Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we just pray that you'll take the word of God and make it alive to each one of us. You'll excite us about our faith today. You'll cause us, Lord, to be strong in our faith. And to leave this place even different from whence we came into it. That we might understand what you want to do in each one of our lives. We give you thanks, Lord, for the teaching of your word. Inspire us by your spirit. Lift us up by your spirit. That we might honour you and praise you and worship you for who you are to each one of us. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Watch over us. We pray for those who are unwell today. Those members of our family who are unwell. Lord, reach out your loving hand and bring healing and restoration to them. And we pray, Lord, for those areas of our world where there's terrible strife and torment and, and war. 
and we ask for peace in Afghanistan, Iraq, other places. We pray for our soldiers, for their families, that they might be able to celebrate Easter, that the Jew had touched the lives of these soldiers, that they might know what it means to be born again of the Spirit of God. We pray these things in your peerless and precious name. Amen. Amen. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, those titles don't mean much to us, do they? What does a king or a queen mean to us as 21st century people? A king or a queen in in Western world anyway is only a, a constitutional monarch. Somebody who goes into some kind of celebration and and represents the parliament of the day and is that kind of person in between two elections, if you like. There's this monarch who gets up and the who's there in a chair in parliament and, and reads out after the election what the policy of the next government's going to be. But In the first century, it was quite different. The king had absolute power. And that king's word was law. In fact, the king's king's word could be a matter of life and death. You could lose your life just by a king saying, I'm having none of you, you're going to the lions or whatever it might be. So in the first century, the kings had this terrible power, this power in absolute ruler. And in fact, some of them were regarded as divine. They were regarded as divine. That was certainly true of the the Roman Caesar. Not only regarded as having this terrible authority in them, but also that power of being divine. Now think of that word, lords, or lords. What do the lords mean to us today? They haven't got the same power as the House of Commons. They haven't got the ultimate authority. They can discuss things. But in the ancient world, that title, Lord, meant something quite different. Had about four different references to Lord. Interesting history began as the title of a pupil would use toward his teacher. A pupil would address his teacher as Lord. And it came the title used by a servant of his master. Or a slave of his owner. And then last of all, a subject of his ruler. And of course it became, as I said before, a title of deity. Again with the Caesars. Do you know that the Romans used to set up a wee table down by the roadside? And they would catch you coming along the road. And they would have incense on that table. And they would shout to you, Caesar is Lord. Only two groups of people refused to say Caesar is Lord. One of them were the Jews. The Jews had an escape clause and were not required to say that Caesar is Lord. And the other ones who wouldn't say it were the Christians. If that thing was at the side of the road, the incense was there, and somebody said to the Christians, Caesar is Lord, they would reply, Jesus is Lord. And that was enough to get you thrown into prison or sometimes thrown to the lion's den. So I can tell you this, folks, that Christians did not say Jesus is Lord lightly. When they said that, they meant it, because it could mean instant death to be able to say that Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is my Lord. 
And so this title of king or, or even lord has been devalued in our day, in our time. That's the, the general loss of respect for people in authority. Don't you find that today? A genital loss of respect for those who are in authority. But somehow on this Easter Sunday, we have this tremendous title of the glorified Christ in heaven as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is a powerful title. He's king over every other king. He is lord over every other lord. He is the governor of all governments. The chief power and authority in the universe. Do you believe that? And it makes us ask the question, well how in the world could Jesus have that kind of title? What made him have the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And I've got three answers to that question. And one of them is because of his resurrection. Because of his resurrection, he's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. And the first thing about the resurrection is really the evidence of that. Do you know that the resurrection really happened? Do you believe it happened? Because there are many people in the world today who don't believe it happened. In fact, there's a man here called Frank Morrison. He was a journalist. And he set out saying, I do not believe in the resurrection. And I'm going to prove it to you. And he went into a great deal of research. At the end of his research, he knelt down and accepted Jesus as his own personal saviour. And he wrote the book, who moved the stone? Isn't that amazing? He set out to, to show the world that the resurrection could not have happened. And he ended up knowing Christ as his own and personal saviour. But there are those who do not believe. And the evidence for, the, for the, the resurrection is just so powerful. Because you see, I don't know how many of you have heard of Carmen. You ever heard of Carmen, the singer, the American singer? I think he's fantastic. And he's got this, uh, this uh, video. It's a video now. I'm going away back many years. Revival in the land. And if you go, it says here, if you go to the grave of Buddha, I've got news for you, he's still there. If you go to the grave of Muhammad, he's still there. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus, he is not here, he is risen. And there's this great big applaud and, and great big shout of praise on the video revival in the land. But all the pomp and power of those religious leaders, the past kings or rulers, have finished. The same way as everybody else. They could not defeat death. They could not defeat it. The king's body may survive for a time in a mausoleum or a glass-topped casket. His monument may survive for centuries, but he is dead. Only Jesus defeated death. He died and he rose again and he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. But some people have tried to disprove the resurrection. What are some of the things that people say about the resurrection? Well, that Jesus uh, went into a coma. And somehow the, the heat of the grave, of the, of the cave, brought him back to life. He wasn't really dead. Well, 
You think of all the things that Jesus went through. He was scourged by those terrible thorns on his back, the thorns on his brow, the, the sword on his side, all the things, the loss of blood, all the things that happened to him. He just went into a coma and he came alive again. He wasn't really dead. He came to life in the tomb, as it were. That doesn't really stand, hold water, does it? It doesn't really hold away. And then of course there was the one that says in the Bible that the scribes and the Pharisees told the uh, soldiers just say that the disciples stole the body. That they stole the body. Now would you go into Jerusalem and preach that Jesus was alive and risk your very life for a hoax that you had actually stolen the body but you were willing to die for a hoax. I don't believe the disciples would have died for a hoax. But the other people had stolen the body. The authorities stole the body. Well, if they stole the body and the disciples started to preach in Jerusalem that Jesus is alive, why didn't they produce the body? It would be easy to do that, wouldn't it, if they stole it? The only thing, the only conclusion that we come to is the evidence of the Word of God. And all those people in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul says, they actually saw 500 people saw Jesus alive from the dead at the one time. And also he appeared to James, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, says Paul, he appeared also to me on the Damascus Road. There's only one conclusion. And that's the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's also the significance of the resurrection. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, we are still in our sins. I thought that uh, Jesus' death on the cross dealt with the sin and forgiven our sin. Why does Paul bring the resurrection into it? Because you see the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus took that penalty of death upon himself and he died in our place. But if he had remained dead, the penalty of sin could not have been dealt with. If the penalty of sin is death and he bore that death for us upon the cross, the fact that he rose from the dead is proof that sin has actually been forgiven, that sin has overcome and because he has died for us, and because he has risen, we are forgiven. We don't have that penalty of death. And because he rose from the dead, we will rise with him forevermore. Isn't that wonderful? And Paul says, if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, you're not going to rise from the dead. And if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, I've got news for you, you are to be pitied among all people. I'm sorry for you, he says to those Corinthians that might be despised in the resurrection. I'm really sorry for you. I pity you if you don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You're still in your sins because the cross and the resurrection belong together. The cross and the resurrection belong together according to the Apostle Paul. There's the evidence of the resurrection. There's the significance of it. But I tell you this. There's the experience of it. There's the experience of the power of the resurrection in your life. Paul said that I may know him 
and the power of His resurrection in my life. And that's the greatest proof of all of the resurrection of Jesus is that you have that power of the resurrection in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that wants to fill your life. There was a, a heckler. You know what hecklers are? They like to interrupt Christians when they're out in the open air. And, and this heckler stopped this Christian preacher and said to him, How do you know that Christ has risen from the dead? He says, Well, because I was speaking to him just this morning. <laughs> I was having a chat with him this morning. I know that he's alive. And that's what clinches it for me. The personal experience of meeting the risen Lord. And he's only truly Lord to those who have met him. You see, he's King of Kings. And he's Lord of Lords because of the resurrection. And the second point I want to make, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords because of his reign. Because you see, after the resurrection, what happened to Jesus, after the 40 days of appearing to disciples, he actually ascended to the Father at the right hand of the Father. And the right hand of the Father is a place of authority and power. It's a place of glory and honour. And it's from there that he executes the Father's will. He's ascended. And he reigns. And one day he's going to hand over the kingdom of this world to the Father. He's going to hand over these kingdoms of the enemy and bear them back to the Father. And he will rule and he will reign over us in righteousness. That's an exciting host, isn't it? But it looks as if, if Christ may have looked as if he had forgotten us or, or there are things happening in our lives. Where is Jesus and all this? I want to tell you this, friends. He's still in control. And if things are not happening as fast as you would like them to happen, just let you to know this, that God is a God of patience. If the end hasn't come as yet, although it's prophesied in scripture, he wants more people to be forgiven. He wants more people to come into the kingdom. Don't criticise God and say, why have we got this delay? Every delay, every day of delay is a day of opportunity for folk to give their lives to Christ. But you know, he reigns. And because he reigns, he is king of kings. And he's lord of lords. But he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Let me just give you one more point briefly. As why this Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Because he's coming back again. He will return, the Bible says, because of his return. And make no mistake about it that Jesus is coming back 300 times in the New Testament. It tells us that Jesus is coming back again. 300 times. And we don't know the precise day when he's going to return. But there are three things at least that are going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. One of us, he will defeat the forces of evil. There will be a terrible confrontation between good and evil. And the Bible calls that the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The evil plans of Satan will climax in the reign of a world ruler called the Antichrist. He will try to usurp the place of Christ himself. And it's from that evil that Jesus will come and liberate us. He will overcome this Antichrist. He seeks to take the place of Christ. He will defeat the force of evil. Here's the second thing that Christ will do. He will divide the human race in two. Right down the centre. 
He will divide families into. He will divide churches into. Because there will be those you see who know him and there will be those who don't know him. The Bible speaks of it as the sheep and the goats. The wise and the foolish. And there's going to be a dividing line right down the centre between these two, as it were. He will divide the human race in two. He will come and judge the living and the dead. And thirdly, he will deliver his own people. Now those who love him is going to get tougher for believers. I believe it's happening even today. I just heard on the radio again this morning the Archbishop, the former Archbishop, Bishop Carey, uh, they're actually speaking out of what's happening in our government today. And they're going to be on the watch for MPs, what they believe about certain ethical issues coming up to the next election. They are so concerned about how things are going. You know this? The Lord is going to deliver us from all that. Those who love him, he's going to get tougher for believers, but Christ will come and avenge his saints to overcome Satan, and Satan will be bound. And he'll truly be Lord of all. You know this? He's King of Kings. And he's Lord of Lords. Not just King and Lord, but King of all other royalties, all other monarchs. And he's Lord over every other Lord that seeks to assert their authority. And why is he King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Because of his resurrection. Because he rose from the dead. And that's really powerful, isn't it? That Jesus rose from the dead. Not only because of his resurrection, but because of his reign. That Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father. And not only that, but because he's the coming King. He's coming to this new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And we as believers will reign with him forevermore. And the wonderful thing is this, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. Death itself will be conquered through Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Doesn't that cause our faith to rise? That there's the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. 200 million Christians can't all be wrong, can they? 200 million believers believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I do as well. Do you? He rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Let's just all pray. We thank you Lord for your good hand upon us. We thank you for this resurrection Sunday. But we thank you too for the cross. And our time around the table of our Lord. Just bless that time to us. In the Saviour's name. Amen. If I can just give you some of these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's very interesting that in 1 Corinthians 15, that passage that we read, it actually says this in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I received what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. Paul was receiving revelations from the Lord, not only about the resurrection, but also about the Lord's time on the cross. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. But whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Let's have a few moments of silent prayer, shall we? Let's just bring our lives before the Lord. And perhaps before we accept the bread and the wine in the Lord's appointed way of remembering him, let's just pray for forgiveness of sin, anything the Lord revealing to us. We say, Lord, will you please forgive us that we might be worthy to come around the table of our Lord today. Examine yourself, the Bible says. A few moments of silent prayer, then we'll give thanks. For Thank you, Lord, for this time around your table. It's important to us, Lord, that we remember you in your appointed way. And that is to take of the bread and to drink of the wine. This bread that speaks of that bread of heaven that came down for heaven, from heaven for us. And this wine that speaks of the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we want to partake as those who have known your forgiveness, as those who truly believe, and because of that, we partake freely because of your grace. Thank you for that grace that stooped down to save us, to the, the path of the cross. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a, a believer today, you know Jesus as your personal saviour, we invite you to come and share in the Lord's Supper. Just take of the bread and take of the wine and sit down again and we'll just say this do in remembrance of me. After we have partaken, come and receive the bread and the wine and just go back to your seat. And then together we will uh, partake of the bread and the wine. Feel free. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you eat of it all of you in remembrance of me
Lord Jesus and took the cup and he said this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sin drink of it all of you in remembrance of me For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim, you declare the Lord's death until he comes.